Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today and tomorrow, I'm teaching on two lessons on our relationship with God and how God sees us. How does God see the world? God sees the world as no sins in them because Jesus died for their sins. He's going to judge them for one thing. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? All that separates mankind from God is one thing, receiving Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that today, how that Jesus accomplished this on the cross. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Great to have you here today. For those of you watching for the first time, welcome, glad to have you. I know this is gonna be a great blessing to you. And each day I teach the Word of God. I am a teacher of the Word of God, pastored for 33 years, but during those 33 years, I was a pastor teacher and I instructed verse by verse, word for word, going through the Word of God. And I had a great congregation and great numbers of people sent out of the church around the world to be ministers and pastors and, and ministers of the gospel. And anyway, so we sent them out all over the world. And so again, I'm continuing that here with the broadcast. And so if you're watching for the third or fourth time, welcome back. If you're watching and you are a partner of mine, thank you especially for becoming a partner because it's through your prayers and your giving that this broadcast can expand and keep on expanding. And I thank you for being a faithful partner with me. And if you'd like to become a partner with me, you've been watching for some time and you know that you know you like the teaching and your heart bears witness with me and you would like to be become a partner with me. Well, quit counting your money saying, do I have enough? Do I not? Just whatever you can give as you purpose in your heart, give and give. And then as God increases, you can increase too. So you'll find how to become a partner with me. If you go to bobyandian.com and on there, you'll find a place where you can become a partner with me. It's on the face page. And again, thank you in advance for becoming a partner with me. Turn to Numbers chapter 23 today. We're going to talk about Balaam a carnal prophet of the word of God and how that uh, even though he was carnal, God used him and how that in his carnality, he actually drove, drove himself closer to God because his carnality didn't work. And so in Numbers chapter 23, we're gonna take a look at verses 18 through 23. And while you're finding that, I simply wanna point out that we have a praise report from Annette. And Annette says, thank you, Pastor Bob, for your message about the pillows. It was a revelation to be about all the promises of God's word. And she said, I now know that I can go to sleep on God's pillows, God's promises. And uh, that was taken from a story about Jesus going across the water and telling his disciples, let us pass over to the other side. That promise, let us pass over to the other side, means that we can't sink. There's no storm that can take us under. We are going to successfully make it to the other side. And all of us, because I said, let us pass over, not go halfway and sink. Let all of us go all the way to the other side. And with that, Jesus went to sleep on a pillow in the ship underneath the deck of the ship. And the disciples were up on the deck and a storm came up. And the Bible says a great storm. The Greek word is mega. A mega storm came up and they began to, and they went and woke up Jesus and said, we're dying. Don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus just simply uh, stopped the storm, rebuked it, then turned in. They probably thought, oh, this is great. This is what we want him to do, stop the storm. And they're just, in fact, they were just mesmerized by it. This man stops storms. Even the winds and the seas are obedient to him. And then Jesus chewed them out and told them, in essence, you know, you have little faith. Your faith is so small. In other words, it's usable, but it's so small, the amount of it. And on top of that, it's so usable. It's so small because it can't be used. And he was talking about, again, their 
their understanding of the promise of God. God gave a promise, but Jesus showed them what to do. The highest form of faith is not rebuking the storm. The highest form of faith is going to sleep in the storm on a promise of God. Fluff up a pillow. And last count by uh, doctrine, um, those who seek out the doctrines of the Word of God, is there are 7,000 promises in the Word of God, over 7,000 promises which means there's over 7,000 pillows you can put your head on and sleep through a storm knowing God's going to take care of you. In other words, with all those in there and, sh and fluff them up and shake them and see which ones bear witness with you that'll go help you through this storm. Just remember, you have found my pillow. This one today is my pillow. Another one tomorrow might be my pillow. But the point of it is you put your head on it and God will bring you through. So again, that's a great thing. And that's is that's what she is referring to here in this passage of scripture. So let's take a look at number chapter 23. We're going to take a look at verses 18 through 23. And this is the story of Balaam. And we're coming down here to the end of the story of Balaam, where he has been asked by King Balak uh, to uh, rebuke the children of Israel and to prophesy against them. Balak realized something. The children of Israel came across supernaturally through the Red Sea. Then they've been taken care of all this time by God. There's food for them every single day, water for them every single day. Every day there's a cloud to cover them from the sun and every night there's a pillar of fire that keeps them warm. God has provided everything they could possibly need. Their clothes grow with them. Their shoes grow with them. Their feet, their shoes don't wear out. All these things were happening and he knew that he could not attack a supernatural God. But if he could get a man from internally within that nation and he found Balaam and Balaam was a prophet, but he was also a carnal prophet. He was looking for ways to make money himself. And so King Balak offered him a lot of money to curse Israel. And he said, I just can't do it. He said, you know, that God's blessed that nation. I cannot undo what God has done to that nation. So he increased the money so much that finally Balaam said, okay, I'll go try. So he went up a mountain at the top of the mountain. He tried his best to curse Israel and all that came out of his mouth was blessing. He could not force a uh, problem uh, out of his mouth. He could not force something that would destroy the nation. He tried his best to do that and use his gift as a prophet, his office of a prophet to come against the children of Israel, but it would not happen. God only allowed blessing to flow out of his mouth. He blessed that nation, went back down, told Balak it won't work. Balak increased the money so much that Balaam decided I'll try again. And Balaam went up another mountain, a different mountain this time. Maybe God won't see me. I don't know what his thinking was, but he went up on a different mountain and tried his best to curse Israel. And all that came out was blessing, blessing, blessing. He came back down and said, no, I can't do it. And finally, King Balak offered him so much money that Balaam decided I'm going to do it one more time. Now, somewhere in there among those three times, his, his donkey even prophesied to him and told him not to do this. And yet he, listen, here he is talking to his donkey and he's so carnal, he can't even see it. This was God speaking through the donkey to him and he can't see it. And he is just talking to this donkey like it's a person. And finally goes up the third time, tries his best. And this time again, out came blessing, 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 blessing. And finally he decides talking to God, that's it. I cannot outdo God. I'm just going to let the blessings flow. And during that time, uh, what happened was, is that Balaam spoke some of the greatest prophetic things over Israel all the way to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. What incredible passages of scripture that came out of this carnal prophet's mouth who finally just broke down and said, okay, go ahead, God, use me. And God did. And uh, so at the end of it, what the end of the story is interesting is that Balak went back down and said, I can't do it. But he got a revelation. He said, listen, I'll tell you how you can destroy them. It won't come by prophecy or taking a prophet from the inside. He said, just send in some prostitutes. Go ahead and send these women in there. He said, you'll destroy the nation. 
And Balak didn't understand it because, I mean, because prostitution was a part of their life. It was just an everyday thing. He thought, that's all I need to do. And so he sent them in there. And sure enough, it brought down God's anger and God's wrath on the people. And many of them were killed at that time. And so, again, it came down to it. And then later on, this particular doctrine, the doctrine of Balaam appears in the book of Revelation, the opening chapters that deal with the seven churches. And there the Lord speaks about this doctrine that came from the Old Testament. The doctrine of Balaam had been reintroduced into a church, one of the seven churches of Israel. That's what we have here in the uh, uh, offer that we're offering to you. And this is on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. So the announcer will tell you at halftime, you can have a copy of it for yourself. All right, Numbers chapter 23. Let's take a look at verses 18 through 23. It says, Balaam took up this parable and said, rise up, Balak, and hear, listen to me, you son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie. Notice the boldness that's now in Balaam's mouth. He has tried twice to speak against the children of Israel, and it has not worked. Went up last time, the third time he went up there, and it didn't work. Now he comes down and simply tells Balak, you're barking up the wrong tree. You cannot come against this God and you can't come against this nation. And so what he said was, he said, he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he would repent. You're trying to treat God like he's a normal human being. Why was that possible? Because every heathen religion treats their gods like their people. And so they can be bribed. They can get drunk. They can have uh, children out of wedlock. I mean, all these things that people do, they get their permission from by allowing their gods to do it. He said, but this God is not like you think. He's not a man. He doesn't lie. He's not an offspring of man that he should repent. Has he said it? He will do it. Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. All I can do is go along with him. When I try to come against this nation, it's going to come out the exact opposite. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. That's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said out of that's going to come the Messiah, the king of the entire world and the king of the universe, the one that's going to die for the sins of man is going to come from this nation. God brings them out of Egypt. He has the strength like a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. You can try all the sorcery you want, but it's not going to work, Balak. Now he goes on to say it now must be said of Jacob and of Israel. Oh, what God has done. He said when they come into the promised land, it's going to be said, look what God has done, not what the people have done and not what Balak has done. And so he comes up with this prophecy and he begins to announce it. I want to point out a couple of things in here about what the Lord said and about what Balaam is saying to Balak. And he points out the fact that this group of people is coming out and there's something he said in there. He says here at the end of this, he says, he has the strength of a wild ox against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. In this prophecy, he said that God sees no sin in Jacob and he sees no uh, sin in Israel. What does God mean by this? In the verses of scripture that we have here, Balaam has tried to curse Israel again from three mountains and it has failed. He can't curse what God has blessed. Now he surrenders to God in this third one and prophesies blessings and the blessings flow from him and Israel's future blessing all the way to the millennium. And this is found in chapter 24 here of the book of Numbers. And so in that chapter, we read about the prophecy that he gives over them. And now God has told Abraham, 
early before this that two sets of offspring would come from him. I want you to notice that he talks about Jacob and he talks about Israel in this prophecy. Which one is he talking about? Jacob was uh, the name of Jacob before that he was saved. Jacob was eventually met the Lord and after that his name was changed to Israel. God told Abraham that two sets of offspring would come from him. One that would come forth with him would be as the sands of the sea. This is an earthly nation, a physical race of Jews and also a title given to them as unbelievers. So the second set that would come from him would be the stars of heaven. This would be the heavenly nation that would come from him of every kindred, tribe, tongue, nationality, all those that accept the Lord of Israel, Jehovah, Jesus Christ as we know him, believers of all nations. And so this was the name of Israel, the saved ones of Israel. So within that nation, we have the house of Jacob, unbelievers. We have the house of Israel, that is believers. And what he says of both of them, I think is interesting. God sees no fault. God sees no sin in Jacob and God. God sees no sin in Israel. What was he saying? We're going to talk about this more in the second half of the broadcast. Both came through Jacob. One group is just the Jews on the earth. That's the sands of the sea. The other is a supernatural race like the stars of the heavens of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation that accept the Lord as a Savior. And the Lord says this, of the saved that are in that nation, I see no unrighteousness. Of the unsaved in that nation, I see no unrighteousness. We'll talk about that when we come back right after the break. March the 7th through the 9th, I'm having my minister's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joseph Z will be joining me and I want you to join me too, no matter what phase of ministry you're involved in. March the 7th through the 9th. In Revelation chapters two and three, the Lord Jesus addresses the seven churches which made up the Christian world. Join Bob Yandian as he explores in detail each of the seven churches addressed and explains how God's messages to those churches are still relevant to us today, not only in the local church, but also in our individual lives. Messages include, Jesus comes to church, Ephesus, a church filled with good works, Smyrna, no money, but rich, Pergamos, where does Satan sit, Thyatira, who is Jezebel? Sardis, the books of God. Philadelphia, what it takes to open a door. And Laodicea, what makes God throw up. To order the seven churches, go to bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. I was telling you before the break came that when God looked down on the nation of Israel, what he said was this, uh, through the prophecy that Balaam was giving, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob and he has seen no wickedness in Israel. This is what Balaam was telling Balak, that when God sees this nation, again, we brought up the fact, you ever thought about that verse of scripture? Uh, often in the Old Testament, God would address the nation and say, oh, house of Jacob, oh, house of Israel. He was referring to one nation, but he was referring to the believers and the unbelievers in that nation because Jacob was his name before he returned 
received the Lord as Savior and, and lost the wrestling match with him. But his name was changed to Israel after he became a believer. But once he became a believer, his name was known as Israel and the nation is called Israel. But again, within the nation, what the Lord says is God has not observed iniquity in Jacob. That's the unbelievers of the nation. And he has seen the wickedness nor the wickedness in Israel. He's simply saying that God sees no iniquity in Jacob. He sees no wickedness in Israel. Although there was iniquity, although there was wickedness, God doesn't see it. What God is saying was this, when Jesus went to the cross and died for us, he took our sins and removed them. There is only one sin that we're responsible for. All other sins Jesus took to the cross and died for, and man will not be held accountable for them. That's why it really makes witnessing easy when you're talking to people, because the person might say, well, look, you know, I've had, you know, a number of affairs and things like that. I know those are sin. You can agree. I know their sins also, but Jesus died for that. That's not what God is holding against you right now. Yeah, but I've, I've been a criminal. I've been to prison. I've been to jail. I know that. But you know what? Even though that is true, God has died for that through the death of Jesus Christ, that has been taken care of. Well, then what is it that's between me and God? There's only one thing. Jesus died for every sin and removed them except for one, and that is rejection of himself. He left that to you because if Jesus would have died for that sin, rejection of himself, everybody would be automatically saved. He left that one decision to you. You're only held accountable for one sin, and that one sin is rejection of Jesus Christ. When God looks at the world, he sees no iniquity in them, even though you know, that they have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, yet their sins were still forgiven on the cross and will not be brought up even in eternity unless they bring them up. If they try to bring up their works, especially their good works, because Jesus died for all those bad works. If Jesus died for all their sin, then their good works still stand and they'll fall back on those. But the point of it is their works of sin and iniquity will not be brought up. Jesus died for those. The only sin that a person is held accountable for, which you can judge yourself, is have you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? That's the only thing you need to confess and you'll become a child of God. You'll become one of the family of God. But on the other hand, as he looks at believers, he doesn't see any sin in us, but yet there is times when we as believers do sin. There's a difference between a sinner who sins and a Christian who sins. The sinner who sins is not part of the family, but Jesus died for those sins. The only thing God is looking for them to do is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The ticket into heaven is not quit sinning. The ticket into heaven is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And so with us as believers, we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Our sins were also forgiven on the cross. Our sins were also conquered in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we have taken care of that one that separated us from God. We've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. What am I telling you? God says when he looked down on the nation, he observed no iniquity in Jacob and he saw no wickedness in Israel. Yet they were the group of people that out in the desert were sinning and God said, I don't see those. I see those were taken care of by my son on the cross and this was thousands of years before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, past, present, future, when he went to the cross. And in the Old Testament, they could actually look forward to the work of Jesus on the cross and receive him as savior. Notice what Isaiah said, for unto us, 
Those us's were 500 years before the cross. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he's simply pointing out that Jesus Christ, who was to come, was going to die for them. Notice he didn't mention all the sins that he had. That would be taken care of by Jesus on the cross. Jesus, when he went to the cross, conquered all sin and rose from the dead, and sin was taken care of. Only one remains, and that's the one that he asked you to take care of. And that's by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Unto us a child is born unto us a son is given. Then he would not even talk about the government shall be upon his shoulders. There's going to come a day when Jesus Christ will rule in this earth and in this time period of chaos and wondering what's going on, it's good to know that God has a plan. He knows everything's going to happen. He knows what every plan of Satan is. He knows what every plan of, of evil people is and God has a way around it. He's going to have Jesus Christ come back and rule. So here we are talking about this in these verses of scripture and remember again that God told as he was talking talking to Abraham, two sets of offspring would come from him. Out of that nation called Israel that we call Israel today came one group as the sands of the sea. The sands of the sea is an earthly nation. It's since sands are here on the sea and God sees them on the sea, then there comes a nation out of him, out of Abraham that would be as the sands of the sea. This is the earthly nation, the physical nation of Israel, the physical Jews. And these are unbelievers. But also he said a group would come from him as the stars of heaven. And this is more than the Jewish people. This is a heavenly nation made up of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. That's why I can declare myself to be a child of Abraham. I am the spiritual seed of Abraham, and we both came from the same faith of one person, that is Abraham himself. But again, we understand that Jacob had a name change. Jacob, before he was saved, was called Jacob. After he was saved, his name was changed to Israel. And when God now looks at that nation of Israel, he says now, O house of Jacob, unbelievers, O house of Israel, believers. And so Jacob was his name before he accepted the Lord, and the name was changed to Israel after that. When God addresses the unbelievers in the nation, he calls them Jacob. When God addresses the believers in the nation, he addresses them as Israel. When God addresses the whole nation, he addresses them as O house of Jacob and O house of Israel. So God declares he sees no iniquity in Jacob and he sees no wickedness in Israel. That's the whole thing. Again, we come back to it is that this is how God sees it today. He looks at Abraham, the father of us all. And if he's the father of the physical nation of Israel or those who accepted the Lord as Savior from all around the world, we see that Abraham, again, is a type of our natural father, spiritual father, also by believing in Jesus, but he brought us to our heavenly father. He sees no iniquity nor wickedness in either one of those. And he sees no wickedness or evil inside of us. When Jesus' blood was shed, all sins were remitted. That means forgiven, pushed out of the way. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says this, and almost all things by the law were purged by blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or the putting away of sins. God sees only unbelievers and believers, not the individual sins of each because Jesus took care of them and took them to the cross. They will never be judged a second time. You see, unbelievers and consequently many believers today 
Believe that when you get to heaven, all your sins are going to be exposed and, you know, and the God will have to take care of them. Now there is a judging of those sins. We'll talk about that here in just a moment of sins you did not confess while you were here, but basically it comes back to this. You cannot enter into heaven, nor can you, I mean, enter in and stay there yet. And you cannot be there. And after a while, you know, then have your rewards and all that handed out without, first of all, God taking care of those sins that while you were here on this earth, you did not confess. And the same blood that got you saved is now the same blood that will take care of those sins because there's a difference between a sinner who sins and a Christian who sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of both. So the blood of Jesus Christ has already forgiven the sins of the world. Now the only sin that stands between them and eternal life is accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So what divides mankind in God's sights is those who have accepted his son and those who have not accepted his son, Jesus Christ. So he doesn't see their iniquity, only their choice for or against his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the only issue that God sees in his sight when he looks at the world out there. What's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is not the sins they've committed and have been forgiven of. No, what he sees between the two is one group has said yes to Jesus. One group has said no to Jesus. This is the only issue in God's sight that if he did, he will send a person to hell or to heaven on that one thing. And those names not found written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire eventually. Those names not found written in the book of life are those who've accepted Jesus Christ or have not accepted Jesus Christ. And the ones that, whose names are not found there are the ones who have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It simply comes back to this. God doesn't see their iniquity, only their choice for or against Jesus. This is the only issue in God's sight that if he did, he again, like I said, will send a person to heaven or send a person to hell. Jesus died for the sins of all people of the entire world, and they will never be held against them. There's only one sin Jesus did not die for, and that is rejection of himself. And he left that choice for all people. And that's what the essence of the gospel is. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll have eternal life. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you will not have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity with God and Jesus and all the saints that go there. O house of Israel, He's simply talking about there, you will get to spend eternity in heaven. But if you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the only thing that counts with God. And for those who don't receive Jesus, they will spend eternity first for a thousand years in hell. And then after that, for eternity in the lake of fire. So salvation has always been a very simple issue before and after the law, before and after the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you personally believe in Jesus as your Savior or not. We find throughout the Word of God, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life, eternal life. He that believes not on the Son will not see everlasting life. That is again why his witnessing is so simple. Jesus died for their sins and they will never be held against you or against them. 
The only sin he left for you is to accept him as your Savior and Lord. This is why when we go into all the world, we preach the gospel. What is the gospel? Good news, not bad news. Bad news would be he died for you, but your sins are still out there. God still holds all of your sins against you. That's not good news. Jesus conquered those sins. Jesus died for those sins. And now my only message to you is if all those sins have been forgiven. I mean, I was talking to a young girl one day and she said, well, for a while I was a prostitute. I said, Jesus died for that. She looked at me like, what? I said, yes, and he's already forgiven you of that. There's only one thing standing between you and eternal life. I can tell you this, if you're immoral like you have been, and a person over here is extremely moral, there's still the same sin standing between them and God, you and them, and that is rejection of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your lifestyle, has nothing to do with the sins you've committed. Jesus died for those, erase them and put them out of the way, and one thing stands between you in God. What are you going to do with his son, Jesus Christ? And she accepted Jesus. She accepted him as her Lord and Savior. The only sin dividing all mankind between heaven and hell is this one sin. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? To accept him, all your sins have been forgiven, including this one. If you have not accepted him, then all your other sins are forgiven, but this one still stands between you and God and is the one that allows you into heaven, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'll see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.